Hey everybody, this is Nate. And this is Justin. From Pertnier Sandstone. And you're listening to Road to Blue Ox. This is our debut podcast designed to be your guide to the festival, our fifth annual Blue Ox Festival. We got another great bill this year. We're excited to tell you all about who's coming, sit down with some of the artists, play some music from everybody who's coming, and uh, basically get you ready and get you excited, as excited as we are to come back and do this all over again. If you've never been to the festival before, this is a place where you might get a little familiar before you arrive. We have some new features that we'd like to talk about, as well as discussing some of the areas of the festival, such as the family camping, the quiet area. We'll highlight some of the vendors, discuss how amazing it is to have clean portageons at an outdoor music festival. Talk about who helps run the festival and kind of what makes it tick. We'll talk about selecting the artists that come and the trials and tribulations behind that. We are fortunate to sit down with Dave Simonette of Trampled by Turtles, who's going to be at the festival this year, and have a nice interview with him. We're also going to be sitting down with Sam Bush, who's got big news and uh, another release coming out soon. Joining us at the festival as well this year is the Traveling McCurries, who will play some of their music later on this episode. Del McCurry, of course, Billy Strings, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, Pokey Lafarge is coming back. I'm very excited about that. Some great local bands as well. Armchair Boogie. Them Cooley Boys. Charlie Parr. Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Barbaro. Grass Fed. Old Salt Union. Just to name a few. This year the festival will take place June 13, 14, and 15 in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Whispering Pines. The Whispering Pines. (laughs) The Pines have whispered in the past years, too. We've had um, as many of you who have attended prior... Festivals, uh, the wind blows at the Whispering Pines. <laughs> it's fun doing this, putting ourselves in the position of, you know, thinking ahead to the festival. I get kind of the pre-festival jitter, the butterflies, if you will, even yeah. even thinking about it. It's going to be a really good year. My mama said, make many friends, they'll give to you, you'll give to them. And can I afford that money soon? Just care for me. So hopefully we've got a bunch of new people that are going to be tuning in, listening to the show to get a sense of what the festival is all about. Basically, we want to share all the incredible experiences and fun we've had um, in the past four years and, you know, really highlight what's going to happen in our fifth year. We are thrilled that we're back again and we're, as always, super excited for it to come around. So on this episode, being our our debut, we managed to be able to sit down with Dave Simonette and catch him while Trampled by Turtles is off tour, and we joined him in his living room in South Minneapolis. And uh, as we're recording this currently, we're looking into the backyard of Ryan Young, the fiddler of Trampled by Turtles, who Pertnier has been working with for many a years, was in our band at, at one time, and then has currently been recording our last couple albums, including the one we're working on currently. Neon Brown Studios in lovely Crystal, Minnesota. 
He's got a a family of foxes uh, in his backyard. They they come and you know the creek is right in his backyard and they they're always hanging around. They keep the rabbit population in <laughs> yeah, control. Right. I think it's the the carnage that that uh, <laughs> they unveils in spring when the snow melts. Yeah, they certainly are cute though. But we're really looking forward to Trample by Turtles this year, especially as well as. Uh, Del McCurry is back again. Sam Bush is back again. Of course, we're really excited about all the artists that are joining us this June at Blue Ox. And we should have a chance to discuss more about what goes into selecting the artists that we ask to join. And this year, we're also going to be debuting a late night campground jam area hosted by the Potluck String Band. Yeah, bring some firewood and throw it on the fire and bring your instrument and pick along. It's always fun. Those guys are really they really have festival going down pat they know exactly what to do how to do it and make it wonderful they were doing that for several years at telluride and I yeah think they still go out there don't they they do yeah i think uh the telluride camp is going to be pretty disappointed that we're stealing them this year yeah but maybe it'll become a tradition we definitely want them to help instigate more late night campground jamming so they're they're especially going to be kicking up the the heat on the fire for the jamming post late night campground stage late so. like you're gonna be watching the dawn basically oh yeah <laughs> after from what, 2 a.m on to dawn <laughs> that's when it gets good at the... that's my new band name on to dawn <laughs> <laughs> so trample by turtles just released an album in 2018 life is good on the open road so we want to play a track from that kind of lead into our interview with Dave Simonette. Let's listen to The Middle from Life is Good on the Open Road. I wasn't higher than I was supposed to be But the walls froze through and shattered I'm partially peaceful
Trampled by Turtles 2018 release uh, that is bringing them on tour all over the world. Uh, we're so thrilled to have them, and we're so thrilled to be able to play their music for you right now. For those of you who have never been to the Blue Ox Festival before or know much about it, this is hopefully where you'll be able to glean some of that information. Pertnier Sandstone, we have the honor of being the hosts and curator of the Blue Ox Festival. And uh, over the past five years, we've been working really closely with the owners of the Whispering Pines Campground and the Blue Ox Festival, as well as our management agency, Periscope Management, to select the bands that we think are going to bring the the energy, the the music, really the spirit that we're we're hoping to create at the festival into the Whispering Pines campground and we've listened really closely to our audience and their suggestions, their requests of bands and other ideas and and definitely want to maybe have this as a forum for that as well. We also get to travel all over the country and the world and we meet people along the way and we have fun discovering acts and inviting them to play Blue Ox as well and it's like Dave Simonet says in the interview you get to make your mixtape but with live bands yeah create a dream festival yeah like which we're I mean we're so fortunate to have the the land that we yeah we have a lot of people to thank for that too the Bishels, we couldn't obviously do this without them and we should also mention the traveling McCurries because really yeah. McCurry's like brought all of this together and that's why they're coming back every year because we love those guys and they were so supportive and um, they continue to be so supportive. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have met the Bishops in Colorado and that's all it. this would may not have been. I can't stay much longer, Belinda. The sun is getting high. I can't help you with your trouble. That's the backstory. We uh, we met them. The idea first was instigated in Colorado, while we were on tour with the Traveling McCurries in Telluride. Actually, it was at the Opera House there. Oh man, what a venue! Telluride, what a town! Like the mountains, when you enter that town, you just like you can't even believe what you're seeing. Kind of, yeah. Like, they're just really stark and tall. And yeah, and it's kind of perfect, really, because I think we even mentioned this during the Dave Simonette interview. In my mind, Blue Ox is kind of a combination of this premier national festival like Telluride combined with a really family-friendly, intimate, local-based, family-run and operated. And those two combined atmospheres are really what we're striving for at Blue Ox. And I think pretty well, you know, a lot of that has just grown really organically because of the amazing audience in the the state we're from and the adjacent states that really create this music community we're a part of as Pertnier Sandstone. Yeah, what we've witnessed in the first four years has been really nothing but uplifting and exactly what we've hoped for, you know. And we're so thankful for it. We lost the Weeping Willow, 
But we gained the gigantic banjo. We have Steve Bateman to thank for that. By far, Weeping Willow Trees are my favorite, so I was sad to see it go, but we have a definitely an adequate replacement, thanks to Steve. We're still a young festival. We still got a lot of growing to do. You know, we have a lot of fine-tuning and tweaking. And, and we'd love to hear from you, too. You could always email us um, or hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, and let us know what you think. So, Nate, why did you choose Stay All Night for the intro music to this podcast? Well, I think that, you know, it's a traditional fiddle tune, and Pertinier really has its roots in, in that tradition, as well as Old Bluegrass, where we got our start. And, you know, that song in particular, I think, really has the, the driving sound that we have often strived for, but it also has the spirit of what we think of with late night jamming, bluegrass festivals, where we really cut our teeth as a band playing around campfires late at night and and uh, sharing melodies and yeah, I think that's that to me seemed like the perfect song to open up the segment. And one thing we're trying to do this year is to encourage more of that. We know that the late night stage goes late and everybody just loves to party there. But we definitely want people to fire up the picking circles too. So make sure you find the potluck string band out there and bring your guitar, bring your banjo, bring your fiddle, bring your mando, bring your tub bass, <laughs> bring your washboard, washboard, kazoo. Kazoos are good. Bring some lutefisk for everybody. Just bring a snack. How hard is it to bring a snack? It's a potluck. It's the potluck stream, man. I mean, bring a snack. I mean, <laughs> bring something. Bring a bring some firewood. What are you, what are you gonna bring, Nate? We yeah, whatever van food I bring along, I'll okay. I'll drink well, over you there. got yeah. Nate's got van witches covered. He'll make a bunch of van witches. Nate, what's a van witch? Generally, oat nut and uh, a random jar of peanut butter that happens to be rolling around Certainly, the van. Certainly, there's never been a van which has been made without peanut butter. Let's That's get true. that straight. Yep. Usually, actually, it's just peanut butter. Yep. <laughs> For some reason, we don't carry honey, which would be very easy to keep in the van. There was a couple items that we, thanks to uh, messes that have occurred on the bench seats, Honey is one that we don't allow. It's not that it's not allowed, but it's sort of like a... You better be careful if you're using honey. Yep, yep. Um, Kombucha is one that we had (laughs) an incident. uh, Kombucha, that's because because Kevin left the one in the van forever, right? And they just, yeah, you open. Sometimes they get shaken up, and when you break the seal, they explode into that entire tour. Our van smelled like kombucha. I remember... (laughs) I remember... When you discovered the jellified apple? Freeze-dried apple skin containing just applesauce. <laughs> One spring, I found it underneath the Very seat. gross. Very but, uh, gross. But even certain types of peanut butter, we have to select. We There's sort of an unsaid rule that natural peanut butter with the separating oil. oil that there's that's been another van disaster. <laughs> Uh, so when you spend a lot of time with each other on the road, you develop a language and uh, yeah. certainly Van Witch and, uh, well, Van Zaster. <laughs> the, the true definition of Van Witch is that it's, it's made and enjoyed in the van simultaneously. <laughs> Justin and I met up with Dave at his home in Minneapolis after Trampled and Pertinier played a show this past Sunday at the Fine Line. And um, we were able to chat with him about lots of different things, traveling, songwriting, our love of the Mississippi River, our hatred for house painting. Uh, let's just go ahead and listen to that now. 
We are here with Dave Simonette of Trampled by Turtles. Welcome, Dave. Hi, guys. Uh, we are doing a round of artist interviews leading up to Blue Ox, and this year you are part of Blue Ox. Again, I should say. Yeah. Triumphant return. Triumphant return. You were there a couple years ago with Dead Man Winter, and this year you'll be coming back with Trampled by Turtles. It is our fifth year, so we're excited to have such a great bill, and uh, obviously glad to have Trampled finally get there, and we're really looking forward to a great weekend of music. But we're just going to talk a little bit with Dave about the history of Trampled, sort of uh, where he sees it going, and uh, kind of a lightning round of questions as well. Just provide a little context into um, day-to-day touring that Trampled encounters as they're out on the road. For starters, Dave, just some historical questions. Uh, What year officially do you guys say that Trampled started? 2003. 2003, and in Duluth. In Duluth, yeah. It started off as four of you, correct? It started off as three of us, actually. First was Eric, our mandolin player, and Dave, our banjo player, and me. was our first show. Though I think Tim on bass joined. He might have even been there for number two. But the first one was just the three of us. But we didn't have a name even then. Yeah, not unlike Pertnier in their first show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember what venue that was? Yeah, it was Sir Benedict's Tavern. Oh, Lewis. it's still around up there. Oh, in, yeah. I, the I worked there at the time. You did? Yeah, I was making sandwiches. And uh, Eric and I had done a couple duo shows. We just wanted to try an acoustic project. None of us had ever really done anything like that before. And at one of those shows at the Vickers Brew House, Dave Carroll, who was our banjo player, was in the audience. And at the end of the show, he came up and, and asked if he could play banjo with us sometime. And we were like, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, why, <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> so that was the first time the three of us had played together. Yeah. yeah, Duluth is such a nurturing and wonderful musical environment. I just love going up there, and I have very fond memories of playing the Fickers Brew House myself yeah. with uh, early duos and trios. I think it was the first time Pertnier played in Duluth was actually at Sir Ben's as well. At Sir Ben's? Yeah, we yeah. stopped through and just played for free beer. It's, and yeah. then split out of there. It was pretty <laughs> That's great. a pretty good deal at the time. It was a great place. And like you said, Duluth is, Duluth is a really great, I don't know, I haven't lived there for a while, but I imagine it's the same now. When I was there, it was a, such a great place to start a band because the scene was really welcoming and and kind of inclusive but it was also kind of uh, like a manageable size at least from my head and so if you start a new band you're most likely playing with people from other bands you know already that you know and and everybody's kind of i feel like there's a pretty good do-it-yourself kind of mentality which i know still exists up there which is a really great way to be a young band i think absolutely and and uh perhaps typical is the case maybe where you know one person is in your band but they're also in two or three other bands yeah which well. is, is i don't know if you can avoid it there yeah, yeah, yeah. even here it you happens know, here all the time sure. it's <laughs> just how this is just the people you know once you start playing more all the people you're hanging out with are people that play so right yeah it's it's good though i think like playing in a few different projects is is a really healthy thing for people to do anyway absolutely it keeps you mind broad and exactly maybe uh maybe helps you write and uh did you approach eric with songs or did he have songs that he said he wanted you to play on or it was a little of both the first the first few times we played it was mostly like old bluegrass songs and a couple that i had written and a couple that Eric had written. 
I mean, those the bluegrass songs were brand new to me. I'd never listened to anything like that before. So it was a little bit of an exercise in the history a little. So we were just kind of excited about discovering this music that we had never listened to. Right, because what did you grow up with? Not or, that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, KQ, yeah, rock most, and roll? Mostly like, like in high school, it was mostly like punk rock and okay. and that kind of stuff for me. So I remember, um, just to reminisce here a little bit, we've actually done a podcast together years what? ago. We uh, Escaping me, Nate. Yeah, right. So let me remind you. Tom Mischke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, never mind. I remember. <laughs> the bloody washboard night. Exactly, the bloody washboard <laughs> night. So we had so we yeah. had the Pertineer guys. Uh, Dave was there. Mickle Beckman. Mickle was there. And, That's uh, the washboard. Yep. We just hung out with Tom, who was doing a City Pages podcast at yeah. the time. And for those industry. of you out there who haven't heard of Tom Mischke, just look it up. It's M-I-S-C-H-K-E. As one of the most uh, eccentric and wonderful radio personalities I've ever met. Yeah, it was an incredible evening sitting down with him, and we talked about some of the ground we're covering today as well, but it turned into shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> Tom got a hold of Mickle's washboard. But uh, at some point, we talked about our early influences, and we were talking about Nirvana and how that was kind of you know, yeah. something that was in both of our upbringings as musicians. That was my first favorite band, actually, you know, when I was like 14 years old. Those things, you know, I mean, everybody probably, especially if you're if you're really into music in general, you probably have a band like that that kind of started, for me, that, and I started listening to that music. That's kind of when I knew I wanted to play music, and I didn't know how at the time, but the path was kind of set. So you you hooked up with Eric and... I mean, I actually have to say that we maybe have, apart from the you're having a, a love of punk, I came from more of just like straight up classic rock and roll, filtered through my older brother was yeah. the music that I listened to. I grew up listening to Pink Floyd and Aerosmith and stuff like that, and then worked my way into some metal. But I was sort of thrown into this uh, genre of music as well. My my buddy Jake just told me one day that our upright bass player is having a kid and we need a bass player for our bluegrass band. I was like, I've never touched an upright bass before. It's <laughs> <laughs> an intimidating looking instrument, man. <laughs> yeah. But he's just told me, thankfully he was very nurturing and just told me to stick with it. And that's when I began to discover really? this genre of music too. So, and I, so I came to it late, like 2024 20, maybe. Sure. It's interesting to hear that from you, and I wonder if then your songs must be partly, you know, influenced by those early. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think you can eject anything from your your brain, you know, like right. <clears throat> everything that um, everything you've absorbed up to that point it, it has some kind of influence on it. Yeah, and it's probably pretty hard to dissect it and say, well, this came from this or whatever, but it all just gets jumbled up in a big mess. That's you i guess right yeah that and that's a great way to put it and as we sit here to set the scene a little we're in dave's i guess you'd call this your dining room right yeah yeah it's a very formal dining room and a nice round table but off to my left is a desk with a typewriter and sheets of paper with typed words on it and i wonder if this is where you do a lot of your work songwriting yeah i don't i don't actually get it done everywhere but i try to be available to write anywhere because you know how it is we tour a lot and so I can't just write when I'm home because when you're gone a lot, you know, home becomes a very busy place. Right. And you get home and the kids. Yeah, yeah. You and everything, care. all the other great parts of your life, whatever, those come first when you're home. But on the road, as you also know, there's a lot of downtime. So I've been really 
the last few years trying to find a way to be able to get into the same space I can or a similar space that I can find, you know, at home alone in my living room somewhere on tour. Right. And I've been writing a lot on the road. That's been great. But it's I think it's just about making yourself available to it. Yeah, you know, like I feel like when I was younger and I think this is pretty common, when you start writing songs, they just start like vomiting out of you. And then as you get older, I think you have to have to work at it a little bit harder. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. You huh? get busy, and, and it's just like you've already said a lot, so what else do you want to say? Right, you know? and things change, and like you, like you say, you get swept up in, in what your life has. Yeah. It's hard gotta to... Got to make that time, though. Yeah, it, and I, actually, that was one of my questions, like how, how often or how, how much do you, time do you devote to writing songs? Well, I... I don't know. I mean, songs kind of come when they want, I feel like. But I devote time every day to writing. And so I'll try to work on the craft a little more now. Some writing exercises, just, you know, a couple hours a day or an hour a day or whatever of just writing. I was write about something or about nothing, but just to keep those wheels turning. Yeah, that's And cool. then a lot of times it turns into a song or, some, or your brain gets into that space and then a song comes easier. Right. As far as like devoting time specifically to writing songs, I for me it's a little more blurry than that, I guess. Yeah. Are you carrying a notebook with you, or are you jotting yeah, notes on your phone, or are that you kind too. of combination of all and yeah. whatever? Yeah, anything yeah. that's available. But I, you know, when I'm traveling, I always have some way to write nearby. Yeah, I find myself I when I'm home, I'm trying to put myself back in the mind space of being on the road. I feel like that's where I thrive and kind of where I get a lot of my muse from. Uh -huh. It's like those experiences that are in passing or that are like, you know, the touch and go aspect of traveling. Yeah. And you're outside of where you where I mean, home is, is a wonderful place to be, but it gets kind of routine as far as writing goes. You know, there's nothing like a new experience to help spark something in there. And that's a, a good way to get it is to travel around. Do you find yourself writing, like when you're writing lyrics, do they attach themselves to melody as, as you're hearing them? Or you know, for me, a lot of the times I'll come up with uh, chord progression and melodies first. Not all the time, but I'd say most of the time I get like an idea of a song that I can kind of sing with, you know, nonsensical syllables and see where it's going and then um, kind of write to that. That's Keith Richards' approach, too, Is it? from what I read in his <laughs> recent memoir. Well, That's great. Yeah. yeah. He would literally go in the studio and sing gibberish. And then, yeah. And then Mick would come in and fill it in with lyrics. <laughs> in David Burns' uh, How Music Works book, he talks about doing that, too. Those guys would just, the talking heads would just, like, jam. And then he'd sing over it and get those melody ideas and then kind of write to the melody. I've done it all sorts of different ways. So, I mean, I've written... Obviously, I think if, I mean, if you write uh, a song without any idea of a melody to it, you're obviously going to have to edit somehow to make it fit into a song unless, uh, it, you know, I'm sure there's people that can make their words fit in a better way than I can maybe. But so I think if you get a, um, a melody in mind, it, it kind of narrows the process a little bit. For sure. You know what yeah. the rhythm you're working with and. I have a lot easier time coming up with melodies and chords and that kind of stuff than than words a lot of the time. Sure. Well, you definitely write some great melodies. So Thank you. Yeah, you're doing it right. <laughs> it's working for you. <laughs> so are you completing a song before you're determining, well, this is going to be a great Dead Man Winter song or this will no. be a great Turtle song? Or? I never think of them like that, really. Okay. Usually I just am kind of constantly writing and then... Um, at some point, I'll decide what thing I want to do next, like a, what kind of record to make. 
Sure. If it's going to be a trampled record or a dead man winter record or just me or whatever. And then once that is kind of decided, then usually the the stuff I have goes towards that. But okay. I don't know that I've ever... There's been songs that I've recorded for one thing and then done with the other another thing. Um, but I don't think I've ever written a song specifically for a band because I, I like to think that any of them could probably be done by any of the people I play with in that way. I think my record is probably four or five chords in a song, so I think that any of the guys can figure it out. That's And that's all you need, you know, yeah. really. So. Yeah. yeah, Nate comes from a sort of that mindset, too. I like... What I love about your songs is you you are you draw from specific styles and you do tend to keep things simple while also somehow making them interesting. Uh some challenges I've run into lately is just not being able to like break out of a certain key almost. Yeah. Like I just oh, have man, I, I tend to too. like write in the same key or I'm always writing in three four time, you know, like for uh-huh. some reason waltzes come way easier to me. I'm like lyrically. that too actually. Waltz yeah, the the rhythm of words in a waltz. Yeah. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, I got another song, but how many waltzes can Pertinier put on an album? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> one is the answer. Maybe you should maybe you should write all of the waltzes. Maybe as I many as you can in a row. That's a good idea. Get and it then, out of your system. And, and then just see You'd and be then, so sick of it by then. Yeah, and, draw from that. <laughs> You know, I'm always trying to think of concept albums. We could just have an album full of waltzes. Pernier plays the waltz. Yeah. I mean, you could get put one in 12 or something like that. Really yeah, switch I mean, it up. get weird. <laughs> <laughs> Ruts are, that's, I, I, every songwriter has that. You yeah. Know? And I, everyone that I've ever talked to has the, these exact same struggles. We're all going through that thing. We're trying to be, make something new. Right. And, you know, for me, I'm a pretty basic musician which I'm fine with. Like, I like yeah. the way that I do it. It actually probably makes it easier for me because I don't have to think about, you know, like some of the jazz guys I know when they're writing, mm-hmm. I mean, they have, they go real deep in, in the music part of it. And for me, the music is a little bit more of a vessel for the song itself. Right. Everybody, has, nobody's figured it out. No, know? and it's very nice to hear that and, you know, be able to commiserate with other people. Yeah, about the struggles we can all it. share that. <laughs> It's kind of a good way to relate to other people that do this, you know, at the very least. I mean, we've all sat in front of a blank page, like banging our head against the wall. Yeah. I envy the old typewriter approach. I think that's great. There's something just yeah. really analog and pure. I love about writing that. on that thing. And I don't always, but um, I like writing handwriting too. I've, I don't think I've ever written a song on my computer, though I'm not above it. I just haven't done it. But the typewriter, just the noise. I feel like in the physical percussion involved, it's almost an instrument as well. Absolutely. And when you get into a rhythm on it, it's it's it just feels and sounds cool. So it's kind of maybe it's a little romantic, but I love it. And there's also a, uh, a side note. Have you? I don't know if if either of you own a typewriter or not. Used to, yeah, several yeah, actually. I but. have a couple. There is one. There's a in Richfield. There's a, a, a Vale typewriter. It's like the only surviving typewriter store in the state and one of the few in the country where the guy he fixes and and sells and works on typewriters so it's kind of a cool little subculture thing there yeah it's like an old blacksmith or something yeah it's the one guy i found it trade. it was like you walk through the door and your first step was like 50 years ago you know mm-hmm. i feel cool. the same way walking into luthier shops yeah like what violin builders uh-huh. like they're they're dialing back to the old school for sure like tapping into that is, yeah uh, influence and means but i'm glad they're all still around absolutely yeah i've i almost 
dislike the fact that I've gone this way, but I've so much more gravitated these days towards writing on my phone just because it's always oh, yeah. there. Yeah, hey, it's you know, a tool, man. I, I used to carry a notebook in my back pocket, and I don't know how many pencil tips I broke and just frustration with that. And well, you can do a lot dumber shit with your phone than write a song on it. So Absolutely. Great. <laughs> no doubt about that. But also, like, I'm just lazy, so... I hate editing. I hate like <laughs> I hate rewriting a yeah. song that because I want to change one word, you know, yeah. or like rearranging two lines. And so I I approach songwriting like a collagist almost, sure. taking different ideas and just seeing how they fit and trying different things yeah. all day. Well, yeah, that's one great. cool thing about that is that you are willing and able to share with us. I've looked over your your docs and like helped you edit songs before just on the computer so i mean there's something to be said for that as well and in a collaborative mind as well you know that's an area that i've that i've never really entered in that um i've been curious about in the last couple years i've never really written with other people right i wrote i mean i have a couple times right there's a trampled song that i co-wrote with eric koskinen and it's happened spontaneously once or twice but i've never sought out to write with somebody else yeah so when you bring a song to the band, it's basically show and tell. Yeah. Like, this is the song. These are the chords. These are the words. Yeah. And you just trust everybody yeah, else. Yeah, and put everything chords on. less so. I mean, definitely we collaborate a little bit on, well, maybe there should be a, the bridge should feel different than this or, or you know, throw this in instead of that. And that that's worked on by committee if it wants to be. Do you ever like produce parts? No, no, you not just, for not trampled. No. Yeah, you just cut them loose and let them. Yeah, right with they. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's, it's it feels pretty like it's a pretty comfortable arrangement in that way. I mean, we've everybody has an open platform, right? So if somebody's doing something, and um, somebody has an idea of something they could be doing differently, then then I don't think anybody gets their feelings hurt right. in that way. But yeah, th- as far as like the the lyric, the melody, and the basic chord structure, that's usually brought to the band. Kind of. And is it you primarily, or do other people approach? Lear- all the songs with words in them have been me. Okay. Yeah. Um, a couple of guys write instrumental songs that we record too. Okay. I'm curious. You know, we could sit here and talk about songwriting all day because this is like my yeah. my biggest fascination in life, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking. <laughs> Agreed. But um, do you have any other artistic outlets or endeavors or things you maybe do just to, you know, like let your mind go elsewhere and, sure. and dig, you know, influences or experiences besides music you're saying yeah like painting or uh i've never been much of a painter i do see you have paint on your knuckle currently though. Uh, painting <laughs> my house yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, house painting there well, works that's, that's working a on my house right i don't i don't i do do that quite a bit um but i don't consider that relaxing or meditative at all for me <laughs> yeah it's more of a necessity but for me it's usually the outdoors right so I grew up fishing and that's that's a that's something I'm still pretty active in and camping downhill skiing is something I grew up doing and loving and then didn't do for a long time and the last few years I've gotten back into it and that's that's been uh my kind of zen space in the winter sure yeah. and I found a really um I became really passionate about it again because of that it's it's a uh, it's one of those things that you do with other people, but you still do by yourself. Yeah. Um, the, the actual act of skiing is solo, but the, there's a social construct to it as well. And it's something about 
going down a big snowy hill that my mind can just shut off. Oh, man, I totally know what you mean. And sadly, we don't have huge hills here, but right. you can still, for 45 seconds, enter uh-huh. that space as you're going, <laughs> yeah, going I tried down. to get up to Lutzen a few times a winter yeah. um, because that has one of my other favorite things in the world, Lake Superior. Yeah. Which you know any anything up in that area that's that's still kind of I would say my spiritual home. Yeah, we should note just for visual sake on your wall there are maps, uh, multiple maps of the North Shore of Minnesota and what looks to be the boundary waters and yeah, um, the kind of the border. It's like a to do list Canada. up there. <laughs> yeah, a to do list. <laughs> that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it is about that lake either. Uh, I lived up there briefly, but there's really nothing quite in, as inspiring as creeks leading down to the lake yeah, for me. Me too. It's just spending time out there and feeling, just kind of feeling the water and just like the power of it all. So, yeah, I really... Yeah, it's like the edge of the world up there, you know? It is. It's just unique and, and different. In that same vein, too, this last year, I started... I went hunting for my first time. I have a friend of mine who works for Pheasant Forever, Pheasants Forever. I should say that we became friends because of this. And I was doing an interview with him and a, another guy on a radio show that they do, and they asked if I'd want to come pheasant hunting with them. I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. I like to walk around in the prairie or whatever. Like, let's do it. And uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. And um, that's so that's something that I ended up going grouse hunting again later, later in the season. And uh, so maybe that's a new passion of mine. It's in the same vein, though. It's a long... Just like the calm of of being in a kind of a wild spot. Yeah, and social, but also yeah, uh, solo. And the same with skiing as well. You have, there's something that your, <clears throat> excuse me, your mind is incredibly focused on, the whole time. Right. And so I need things like that because otherwise it the gears just spin in there kind of freely. Sure. Yeah. And if I don't have something like, uh, 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 a very concrete kind of objective, um. I mean, that's that's kind of where I find, like, a peaceful spot. Sure. Right. That kind of bird hunting is, I feel, much better, too, because you're you're active, you know? Yeah. Like oh, I was Duck out, hunting man. and deer hunting is a little more passive. Sit in the cold? You sit in the cold <laughs> and wait, you know, yeah. instead of sort of, like, actively seeking out. Right. There's something different about it. It was a blast. I actually wrote about that uh, recently because it was such a... I, I guess I, I went into it with no expectation, just like I was I was going out with a group of guys who I barely knew, three two of them I didn't know at all. And um and I thought it might be interesting, but it ended up being a really powerful experience for me and it was it was inspirational enough for me to I I spent three days on tour writing a piece about it. So that you know, already it's sparking something. But Did um, you get a bird? I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was five of us, we ended up getting our limit of ten which um, as I found out later, you know, isn't very common, at least where we were. So it was a really lucky day in that respect, too. Although I will say that I would have had almost as good of a time without, right. you know, even shooting my gun. But, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. And it actually brought to, to mind, and this is a, a tangent, but we were hunting on public land, which in Minnesota we have quite a bit of. Yeah. But unless you, I mean, unless you live near it, like I'm trying to think if you're not hunting on it, there's not a lot of people get to it. And it's not, you know, maybe aside from the Superior National Forest, which also has all those like state parks and campgrounds and stuff right. in it. But where we were, 
I would have never gone, you know, driven there to take a hike. There's no trails. It's just wild land. Right. And it's a big chunk of land. Anybody can use it, and you can just walk in there. And so that was a really cool eye-opener for me to find places like that that aren't that far away. It's, I just thought it was, it was cool that, I mean, I, most states, all states probably have similar areas, but it was like, wow, this is right here. This is so cool. It's beautiful. Well, not to mention Minnesota just has some of the most beautiful forest in the country that I've found. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's really the terrain here is I try to get every time I'm back in Minnesota, I try to get out in the woods yeah. somewhere nearby. And there's so many county parks in Minneapolis area. Yeah. Even in the city, you know, cities go, you know, right now we're real near the river in Minnehaha yep. Falls. And you can walk down in that by the river and it, it's a it's a pretty good way to forget that you live in a city, which is for me, that's a good thing. I'm down there all the time just for that reason alone, uh, just because you can get into that gorge and you don't really hear anything down there. I mean, if you listen hard, you can hear some cars. But And also, I like looking up and down the river and like kind of blocking the bridges out of view yeah. <laughs> and just kind of throwing myself in a, a Huck and Tom sort of sure. mindset because like, kind of it's where it was. I mean, the river starts in this state you know and it, yeah. and it like becomes something mammoth it's before a mythical it leaves place state. yeah sure. and uh yeah just going down there is you know inspiring similarly to lake superior but not you know i know there's something about water you ever get out on a canoe on oh a river? yeah yeah, that's, yeah quite a bit i mean i grew up not far from the river in brooklyn park and oh, i yeah, used to sure. go down there and swimming and go out with a canoe and yeah canoeing is a wonderful activity man i love that and fishing i love fishing out of a canoe too i actually just bought one a couple years ago so that finally have my own but um yeah hopefully we'll get out this summer i'm excited for that okay we're back with dave after a brief cigarette break uh and chatting about snow in the winter because we're recording this in the winter sure are. about to head into two or three of the coldest weeks of the year in minneapolis and st paul but uh we are going to talk about we're looking forward to warmer weather and blue ox now you guys put on a festival a few years as well uh, palomino are there any plans to revisit that or is that kind of not right now no i mean that i guess i'd say it was fun but it was also, uh, I don't know, it was just kind of a pain, <laughs> you know? And logistically yeah. or just like... I, I love the idea of, um, it's like making a mixtape, you know, like picking yes. the music. And it it was a good time. Every time we were there, I had a blast, you know, and it was it was fun. But I don't think, I will say that I never, whether we were just busy on the road or at home or whatever, I don't feel like I ever really made any kind of vision with it so in the end it didn't it didn't honestly didn't really feel like our thing that much because we you know we just like be touring all year and then oh god we have our festival coming up it was a little bit of a different vibe than say blue ox because it was in city not not camping just like a one-day thing and so i feel like maybe down the road something else i think for us something more aligned with ourselves might be you know maybe something up up north our our annual show at uh bayfront in duluth 
which we've done for a while, right. um, has kind of become a little bit more of our, it's like a mini festival. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a, a perfect spot. Yeah, and it's right on, you know, it's right on the lake. Uh, it's a bunch of friends, bands that are playing and families all there. And, and um, that's kind of our placeholder for that for now. Well, there's there's the old adage, friends don't let friends throw music <laughs> festivals. I think there's something about that that really is is kind of true. It's a yeah, lot of work. Even even if you don't ever put one on yourself, if you play them, you can see how much goes into putting on an event like that. It's insane. Like the amount of work that happens um, before anybody shows up at the gate. It's it's a it's a, just a feat. That's a good segue for us to thank our festival owners, yeah. the Bischels. <laughs> One uh, one luxury we have is um, a group of people who are completely adept and skilled at throwing music festivals because they have been doing so for 30-some years on that festival grounds. And we don't know really what we'd do without them. I, it wouldn't be anything really without them. Um, we yeah, I'd forget to get porta johns or something. like. <laughs> yeah. There's so many details, man. Oh, man, it's just unbelievable. I, I have to say that I, I love what you said about it's like creating your own mixtape. Um, yeah. And that's, that's been really fun for us, too, to that's be able to. That's the appeal. To, yeah. Right? Just to like, who do we want to have come to this party? You know, who can we get to come and celebrate with us? Right. And it's always a mix of people that you either have played with before or that you'd like to or people you run into on the road throughout the year. Yeah. You make those relationships. And it is cool to invite them to your event. Yeah. I, I did enjoy that part. Are there any festivals around the nation that stick out in your mind that you would love to play annually or that you really remember fondly because of, you know, say some killer hospitality or <laughs> like, uh, you know, well, something like that? I, I will say that now here in 2019, you can't really go that far without hitting a festival, right? There's so every weekend everywhere there's there's festivals. And when, when we started playing and touring, I feel like they were a little bit more spread out and a little bit more... Uh, well, I'll just say that they're way better now, you know, like everywhere, the experience for the for the people coming to watch music, the experience for the bands, everything is, is much more, maybe because of the competition. Yeah. Or maybe because people just expect to be treated a little better now. I mean, they were pretty bare bones when we started. And that was fine at the time, you know. Um, but there are always some that, that really stick out. Uh, I'd say Newport Folk Festival is one. That's uh, a lot to do with the size of it. They cap it at 10,000 people, like Telluride Bluegrass, which is another great one. And so I think in that, with that amount of people, um, you know, when you get to the bigger ones like Bonnaroo and, you know, we did Coachella once and some of the massive things, they're they're a blast, but they're huge. Right. And for me, not not... I don't even like to go to Target, you know, like that's usually too <laughs> Let many alone people sift for me. Yeah. People, yeah. So it's more my style. The smaller ones I've always liked a lot more. Yeah. I like, uh, I brought up Newport because I feel like they've done a great job of, well, you know, they have, that festival has technically been around for so long. Right. Um, and they've gone through ups and downs and they've kind of re, I don't want to use the word rebranded because that sounds like a marketing word. They've given themselves a new identity a bit where people that will normally play people in bands that play for maybe their own crowds that are bigger than that whole crowd will come play that place because the the atmosphere is so great and the environment is so good and collaborative. Um, The way that they, you know, they kind of put all the bands together for the whole weekend, which I feel like I've started some pretty great friendships just from hanging out backstage at that place because everybody's just kind of there together 
And there's probably a lot of intangibles about why that would happen. You know, like a small, comfortable festival is is kind of my favorite style. Yeah, boats and bluegrass. I love boats and bluegrass. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because I would have brought that one up too. And that's even, you know, smaller. And uh, that's a pretty great vibe there. Yeah, it really is. And again, the river is right there. And yeah, there's something special about that place. I feel like that's kind of what we're doing with Blue Ox is marrying the larger festival like a Telluride mm-hmm. with the boats and bluegrass. Yeah. And like really kind of yeah, making it a, having these premier bands come play our party. And I feel like that's the attraction for somebody who's going to buy a ticket is like maybe I could go to a huge thing and see some of these bands, but I'd much prefer to go see them in the woods in Wisconsin right here and in a, a really comfortable environment and it's you know there's a there's a coziness to that kind of thing and and not not in a like a trite way at all just like it's a special experience for people to see for me i've been on on as a fan of music to see a band you know i'd much rather see uh, any band that i love in as small of a venue as possible <laughs> you Absolutely, know? yeah and so this the stage at, at blue ox isn't a small stage but it feels like you're in a place where you don't feel like you have to walk two hours across a sun-baked field to go get water or something exactly, you know yeah well yeah and there's like a camp quality about it like you're in a yeah. little isolated yeah ground. it does feel like camp that's a good way to put it and uh yeah and you're there with a, all your friends or people that would become your friends if you took the time to chat with them right there's a community aspect about blue ox that we're really trying to grow and engender in the whole vision with the festival. Yeah, well, great, because uh, we could all use more of that. And, you know, it helps bringing you guys in. You're a local band, but you're also, you know, like of this national caliber, so you're really a perfect fit for the festival. I hope so. Hoping to get you guys there for five years, you know, four years now. Yeah, we're excited as hell for it, man. I think it's going to be a blast. You guys have come so far in the... Well, you said 2003, so, man, you're working on 16 years already with this yeah. band. Oh, God. Which, you know, when you say it out loud, it's just like, is that right? Yeah, I know it. But, uh, I mean, do you do you really look forward? Are you just kind of, like, riding the wave? Or are no, you, like... I don't know. I, def- I don't ever look f- forward in that sense. Right. I don't think any of us in our band ever really have. It, it's Even on tour now, it's still it's still show by show. And um, I, I will say I'm, f- I for one, am still pleasantly surprised when people show up, you know, and just the same as we were in the first year. Right. But th- I don't feel like I'm not, I'm not much of a planner anyway. You can ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> I just kind of go with it. Yeah. And I feel like in music, uh, especially, what do you plan based on, you know? Right. I mean, there's so many variables in a, you know, if you want to call it a career in music that you kind of just have to do what feels right at the time. And I feel like as long as, as long as you kind of stay true to that, it makes it a lot easier to do it for your whole life. You know, I'd hate to right. feel like I wasn't living up to some goal, but I don't even know what a goal would be. You know, I think like, maybe you just said it, the continuation. Of, yeah. Just to of, keep doing it. Right. I think that's really well said. And, um, it lends to, you know, trampled's genuine, you guys don't have pretense, you know, well, like good. you, 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 you can tell, at least I can tell, maybe it's different because I know you, but, and it would be, you get a different answer out of some fans, but I don't, I don't, I feel like you guys are approachable and there's a lack of pretense. And I think that appeals to people a great deal. And that comes through in your music and your words and your songs and as well as your stage presence. 
Well, thanks, because I, I, I take that as a compliment, man, because, I don't know, I mean, you guys know this from being in music, that there's a there's a good amount of that around. Yeah. But I was, It's hard to navigate, too, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think entitlement is my least favorite quality in a, in a, a human, you know? Like, to right. feel like you are, are owed something just because you showed up, or, right. you know, that kind of mentality, and there's no shortage of that in the music world. Uh, it's the world I know. I'm guessing there's probably no shortage of that in any career. You know, right. it's just a, some people are. But as a musician, you're public about it, right? So you're on stage and you leave a trail of people that you've met and worked with across the world. And, um, you know, how people remember you is by their interactions with you. Right. more, Way more than, you know, if when you're working with people, you show up to a venue. I mean, the guy's pushing your cases into the room don't give a shit about your records, you know, like no. you're not cool. To them, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. You're you know? just, <laughs> just like, another it's musician Tuesday coming through the door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, your wake, so to speak, is kind of how you treat people just like in any other way, any other part of your life. Um, but, you know, none of us grew up uh, in an environment that encouraged entitlement or that kind of behavior anyway, whereas, you know, some people don't have that advantage. Well, let's move on to this lightning round. <laughs> I've designed, or I've thought maybe it'd be fun to just throw some oh, questions. We actually have your, lightning round yep, written some down. Some rapid fire questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just start. Um, I mean, take take a moment, take no moments to answer these questions. Okay. Um, Pre-show meal, is there something you, you must have or, or typically no, have? Nothing no, nothing in particular. Okay. Though I will lean on the lighter side when I'm about to play. Sure, yeah. salad and chicken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not a pizza and a beer, but uh, maybe a pizza and I a love beer. pizza and beer, just not right before I get on stage. Yeah, okay. um, any pre-show rituals that you, you kind of partake in? No. Um, chain smoking. Chain yeah. smoking. <laughs> oh, that, that, that counts. Is that? Um, a must-have rider item? Uh, water. Water? <laughs> bubbly boring. or still? Uh, <laughs> still. Okay. But I wouldn't, uh, turn down any water. All right. On stage drink. Um, usually I have a water, a cup of tea, and a beer. I can choose by mood. Uh, favorite market outside the Twin Cities? Oof. Alaska. Alaska? Yeah. Wow. And you guys have been up there... We've played up there a few times. Really? Mm -hmm. Anchorage and around? Or? Yeah, we spent most of our time in the southeast by Juneau. Okay. And that area, Skagway, Haines are two of my favorite towns up there. But we have played up in Anchorage and Denali uh, Park and wow. a bunch of uh, Kenai, too. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing it's up there. Beautiful. And yeah, it's like paradise you know for right. me for right. my taste uh, i'd pick that over the beach kind of any day sure know? okay pretty i don't know you can narrow it down if you want favorite venue outside yeah. well any any venue or maybe a couple favorite few venues yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh I'd put red rocks up there okay cool um uh god i was actually just thinking about this the other day it's kind of when you ask, I can't think of any of them. Sure, it's like when you walk into a record store, you're like, "Wait, what, yeah. do, what do I want to buy?" <laughs> uh, I will say Steve's Guitars in Carbondale. You guys ever been there? No. Yes. The little yes. guitar yeah, this shop. Was, yeah, this was years ago. That was great. <coughs> That's one of there. my favorite venues to play. Nice. We played with the Wilders there. Oh yeah, that they're was amazing. Great. Yeah. It's a that's a it's a like a old guitar shop that's just a little concert house now. BYOB. I think it seats forty people. Oh yeah, like that's that. fun. 
Um, that's definitely up there. So yeah, you got a. There's a, many more. I'm a, sure. A huge venue and a small venue. Yeah. Yeah. One of each. Okay. Um, uh, favorite green room. Favorite green room. Uh, the Paps Theater. Okay. In Milwaukee. All right. Wrong answer. The Cedar Cultural Center is the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Cedar Cultural Center doesn't have a barista. <laughs> oh, oh wow. <laughs> and a uh, video game center with like bean bags and shit. okay a, that's pretty good yeah it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> it's a great like uh yeah it's like walking into another world in that place any kind of road superstitions or like things like you know i don't <clears throat> you gotta have for the road like you if you forget this thing you're really pissed off that you forgot it or... i would be pissed off if i forgot my headphones <laughs> yeah <laughs> <So okay. laughs> and uh other than that no i'm i'm not a generally very superstitious person sure. i don't I, and i feel like it's for me it's easier to not pretend i'm going to be able to have everything the same every day on tour because that can only lead to disappointment sure totally yeah. <laughs> um favorite band right now Ooh, favorite band right now impossible okay no way a couple uh well who's influencing Dave i right think now? Let's say I'll, I will say that a couple of my favorite records from last year uh, were Lowe's record, Double Negative, oh, and yeah. John Prine's Tree of Forgiveness. Oh yeah! So those are two that I've been listening to quite a bit. Um, I don't, I don't think I could name a favorite band at any point. Sure, it rotates so much. Um, we played Americana Fest in Nashville this year, and um, we were at Grimey's, and they had out. Well, we we were just bopping around the town and. I was standing there with my friend who lives in Nashville and one of the Grimey's employees was just walking through the crowd and just handed Jen a CD and I was like, what's that? And it was a signed copy no of John Prine's yeah. new, new CD. It's and I was so just great. like, what? <laughs> my eyes lit up and she's like, what? Who is this? I'm like, what do you mean? Who is this? <laughs> Give me that thing. I know, basically. And she's like, you're, you're way more excited about this. You can have this. I was like, thank you so much. Yes, I can. It ended up in the van CD player. I think it's still there as we speak <laughs> right now, actually. So. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the van's CD at this point. Um, okay, a couple more. Favorite band member. <laughs> <laughs> okay, least favorite band member. <laughs> I want to know if you get anybody to answer those two questions. That'd be amazing. I'm going to try. Yeah. It's going to stay on the list. I mean, everybody's favorite member of Trampled by Turtles is Timmy. But, <laughs> yeah, right? you, know, you can't say that on a podcast. <laughs> well, you just did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank Dave Simonette greatly for spending some time with us. We really look forward to seeing you guys at... Thanks Ooh, for awesome. having me both on the podcast and the festival. Well, that wraps up our first episode of Road to Blue Ox. We would be remiss if we didn't thank some of the festival sponsors who helped make it all happen. Our thanks to Bell's Brewery, Loon Juice Cider, 89.3 The Current, Converge Radio, WORT Wart, and Wisconsin Public Radio. Stay tuned for upcoming exciting episodes of Road to Blue Ox, where we will interview festival headliners, tell more van stories, and dish out some of the festival's deepest held secrets. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you in the pines. Tell my don't go home.